Romans 8, we're looking at verses 18 through 25, and you'll find that on page 944 if you're using the church Bible. And before we do look at this passage together, let's again pray. Let's call on the Lord to be present with us and to bless the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every word that you've spoken. We thank you for every Lord's Day and for the opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word, to have our minds and our hearts renewed. And yet we acknowledge, Lord, that unless you build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless you guard the city, they stay awake in vain. And so, Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to powerfully bless your word in our souls, that what we do now would have ramifications even into eternity, that, Lord, it would bear fruit both in time and for all of eternity. We pray that, Lord Jesus, we would see you and hear you, that we would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and we would come forth and follow you, that you would increase our faith, that you would prepare us for suffering, and that you would prepare us for glory. Father, we pray that you would be present with us together with your Son and Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. We are looking at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, we'll read down to verse 25. Paul, picking up on uh, the idea of, and continuing on with the idea of our adoption into God's family, writes these words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing or groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This ends the reading of God's holy inspired word to us this morning. Well, I wonder if a few months ago you saw that picture that was all over the internet of Independence Square in the Ukraine, and what someone had done was they had put together a before and after picture of Independence Square as if it were one shot all together, and it was this unbelievable picture of previous glory and beauty, the architecture, the mosaic uh, outlay of that square, the absolute pristine look of it, and then after the revolution, the, the, the blackness and the burnt overness, and you couldn't have a stronger contrast than what you saw in that picture. And what that picture reminds us of, as everything else that we see on the news, no matter when we turn it on, is that this world is not what it's supposed to be. 
This world is not what it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter how many nice places you try to vacation. It doesn't matter how much you try to create heaven on earth. This world is not what it's supposed to be. We see it in sickness. We see it in wars. We see it in all of the futility. We see it in animals raging against each other. We see it in nature, even. Nature wreaking havoc and chaos on this world. And, and it's interesting because... Even unbelievers will acknowledge that. Every philosophical school, psychiatrist, psychologist, education uh, professors, everyone everywhere is trying to say, if we can just do this and this and this, then we can have heaven on earth. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if you've never read it, I encourage you to read C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory. And Lewis makes this observation. He says, you know, everyone knows there has to be something better. But what all of the philosophers and educators are trying to do is say, if we just do this and this and this, then we'll have heaven on earth. And when that fails, they say, well, we didn't do this and this and this. And if we had just done this and this and this, then we would have had that. And what they're actually acknowledging is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 8. The Apostle Paul here almost out of place, right? We've gone up to the mountain. He's told us, you have the spirit of sonship. You have victory over indwelling sin. These are the benefits of redemption that you have Christ in you. That, that, that warfare we talked about in chapter 7, that, that tension between the flesh and the spirit, between doing things we don't want to do and not doing things that we want to do that please God and what we want to do. And we have this irreconcilable war. And then Paul says, but God has given us his spirit. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And one of the interesting things about this chapter, is that Paul takes us from no condemnation at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 to no separation at the end of this chapter. From no condemnation to no separation, the Christian is guaranteed the inheritance of glory. And Paul has already set up this idea that God's adopted us, and that means that you're going to be an heir. Notice, notice what he says when he talks about uh, being an heir in verse 17, the verse right before our text. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So uh, if I can put this as simply as I can, I heard someone say this this week. Um, if you're a Christian, um, your salvation is as secure as the inheritance that God the Father promised his son. If you're a Christian, your salvation is as secure as the inheritance that God the Father promised the Son, so that God the Father would have to renege on his promise to the Son, who secured that through his death and resurrection, in order for you not to get salvation, full and final salvation, and the inheritance of all things with him. Notice, the heirs of God and fellow joint heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. Now, it's interesting because you would think Paul is taking us up on this mountain and he's giving us hope and he's saying, here's, here's the way, in a sense, that we never get out of Romans 7. Here's the way on and here's the progress and here's, here's the victory and here's where, what God has done for us in giving us the Holy Spirit. And then it's as if he brings us straight down and he says, but you're going to suffer. And it doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't seem to fit. With, Paul's, with what Paul said, if there's no condemnation, if I'm justified by faith alone and Christ alone, if God's broken the power of sin in my life, if I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me, if God lives in me, how does that fit that suddenly Paul says, but you're going to have to suffer? 
And then as Paul begins to unpack this, he does for us three things in our text this morning, verses 18 through 27. He first tells us about the groaning of creation. He's going to give us three groanings. The groaning of creation, the groaning of the believer, and then he's going to give us the groaning of the spirit who's in the believer. The groaning of creation, the groaning of the believer, and the groaning of the spirit in the believer. We'll notice that, as I mentioned at the beginning, it it doesn't take long for you to look around and see a world that's fallen, a world that's in disarray, a world that's in chaos, a world that is at enmity with itself, not just nations. Now, I think one of the things as I prepared this and I thought about when you go on vacation and you go to a beautiful island, we have lots of beautiful islands near us, and you go to a beautiful island, and the second, I know for me, and Anna's probably sick of hearing this, the second we drive onto Hilton Head, I say, ah, this is paradise, and there's a valve release. All the stress seems to go away, because all the beauty seems to take over. And I want to say this this morning, I grew up on an island that was like Hilton Head, but not as nice, but it was beautiful. That's not reality. That's not reality. You may want that to be reality. You may enjoy it for a time when you're there, but that is not reality. You know, we used to say that on St. Simon's Island. We used to say, my friends and I, this isn't reality. People know that. I had a friend visit from St. Simon's recently, and he wrote on Facebook, thank you, God, for making this heaven on earth. Um, I think all of us are longing for that, but that's not reality. Human history says that's not reality. The news says that's not reality. Our experiences say that's not reality. If you get cancer, you know that's not reality. When you see loved ones die, you know that's not reality. When you're battling with that sin, that Romans 7 warfare, you know that's not reality. And so Paul, as it were, is reminding us that it's necessary that we as believers suffer for a time here in this world, but that as we're suffering, we need to remember that God has something coming, a a, a new creation, that the sufferings that we may endure now for the name of Jesus are but small compared to what he has coming. That's Lewis's point, the weight of glory. Paul says that, right? That What we suffer now, the light affliction, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so Paul now talks about the groaning of creation. Notice this, verse 19, he says, The creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. Okay, this is one of the greatest thoughts you could ever have as a Christian. If you're a believer and you read your Bible and you understand what we've said through this series on Romans... Get this, this fallen world, independent square in the Ukraine, all of the chaos in this world, all of the burnt overness of this creation is waiting for you to be revealed in full glory as a son or daughter of God. The whole thing is waiting for that. That's what Paul says. When God... When God raises us from the dead and he gives us glorified bodies and we realize the full adoption, notice this, notice verse 23. Paul says, we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So right now, I I can't look out and say, you're a true Christian, 
you're not a true Christian, you're a true Christian, you're not a true Christian. We can see fruit, good fruit, bad fruit, but, but we can't look at people and say, that person's a Christian. In glory, you are going to know who's a son or a daughter of God, even by what they look like externally, right? That's what Lewis said. Lewis made that astonishing statement, and I'll say it again, that glorification of the saint is going to be so great that if you took the most hideous, physically unattracted and annoying Christian you could in the here and now person you could think of, and you saw them in a glorified state and you weren't, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them. And what Paul is saying is creation, the whole creation, the universe that's fallen because of Adam's sin, that all of the thorns and the thistles that come into the ground, all of the work that now becomes burdensome, not because work is bad, but because Adam's sin, all that Adam brought into this world. You know, I'm not a huge Narnia fan, but you could almost not get a better picture of pre and post fall than you get in Narnia. The picture of the whole of Narnia is affected. The whole of the universe is affected. Every atom, every molecule, every created thing has been affected by sin. Animals war with each other because of sin. People war with each other because of sin. Animals war with people because of sin. Husbands and wives bicker and fight because of sin. Nations fight with each other because of sin. And as much as everyone wants peace and everyone wants a nice, tranquil life, the Bible says creation is groaning because it's been, it's been locked into futility. God's plan was for the fall to affect everything so that he could keep creation, as it were, trapped in until he reveals the sons of God and then a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Notice this. Paul actually uses, and women, you'll appreciate this because we usually don't get, men don't get to ever say, we get what labor pains are like. Um, Creation is like a woman who is, Pregnant who is in labor pains, waiting for something to be brought forth. I have at least witnessed that with my wife. And I can tell how painful that is. And how, there, though there's this expectation of joy in the, in the birth of a, a life that God is bringing into this world, there is that painful moment of labor pains, birth pangs. Notice what Paul says. Look at this. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So what God has for this world and what God has for you, if you're a Christian, is in a sense being foreshadowed by the groanings of creation, that things are not right and that something new has to be brought out. We can't just go and fix this and fix that and fix this and fix this country and go over here and fix this and make sure these people don't do this anymore. And then there's the environment. We've got to get clean fuel, so we'll fix that and fix this and fix this. And God says, listen, I'm going to fix all of it, but it's going to happen this way. When I decide to reveal the sons of God, that that this universe is going to bring forth something new when God burns this one with fire, Peter says, and we look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Now, let me say this this morning. Who cares? You should. What difference does it make? 
it should make all the difference in the world. It should make all the difference in the world for you. That this is not our home. There's a song I've been listening to by a musician I really like called The Universe. And it's sort of a, it's sort of an unbelieving reflection on what we read in Psalm 19 and those creation psalms about the heavens declaring the glory of God, the earth showing forth his handiwork. And the, and the songwriter says, the universe, she's beautiful. And he says, she has infinity ahead of her. Well, not really, but there is a new heavens and a new earth coming. But they're not going to endure the way they are now, and they're groaning. And so part of us being in this world that's groaning means that we are to look at that and say something else has to be coming. I can endure suffering here and now for the name of Jesus because something better is coming. So instead of looking at the chaos and saying, oh, I can't believe we live in this world, we should be thinking something better is coming. Instead of saying, how could they do that? How could that happen? I can't believe this. You should say, oh, we believe this. And this is saying something better is coming. Creation is groaning with birth pangs, with labor pains. I think built into all that we're going to say in this sermon today, too, is how we are to not only understand these things, but what that's supposed to do in our thinking. Listen to this quote. New Testament Christianity looks at the present life in light of the future life and not the other way around. New Testament Christianity looks at the present life in light of the future life and not the other way around. We tend to look at the future life in light of the present life, but that's not the way the gospel encourages us to view either the future or the present. Now, what Ferguson's saying, and I can break that down for you, is we tend to look at our circumstances and say, well, how can we fix this so that we can have a better future? We tend to look at the future light in light of our present circumstances. We look at our sufferings. We look at our difficulties. We look at the world around us. We say, what can I do to make it better? We get preoccupied with trying to make a difference. We get preoccupied with trying to make it better. And what Ferguson says is that God in, in the scriptures is everywhere saying, we look at the future life and what God has planned, and then we read and interpret our, our circumstances here and now in light of that. Listen to this. He goes on. He says, the sufferings that we go through, far from being obstacles to the Father's purpose in our lives, actually are the Father's purpose in our lives to transform us. So if we forget that creation's groaning because something else is coming, if we forget that God has subjected it to futility, notice verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The fall's not natural. This is not natural, what we live in. But because of him who subjected it in hope, God subjected the world to the fallen condition that it is so that he can recreate it and make something better. That's what Paul's saying, that if we get that, then we'll read our sufferings here and now in light of that. And we won't be discouraged and say, how could I be suffering? We'll understand that God has put this suffering as the purpose of my life to conform me into the image of Jesus and to bring me to enjoy the full inheritance that we'll have one day. So this is everything for how you interpret the world. It's how you interpret your job. You hate your job. I hated jobs. You know what? I said this week to a friend, I was reading Ecclesiastes 2, and, and, Paul, and Solomon says, um, I hated life because it was hard. Work was burdensome. 
And I, I said to one of my friends, you know, every time I say that, some super spiritual Christian rebuke encourages me. Rebuke encourages where they're, oh, come on, it's not that bad. You shouldn't do that. But the wisest man that ever lived said the the curse has made work burdensome. So your job is hard. People at work don't like you because you're a Christian. You don't want to work hard because you don't like the burdens of working hard. You overwork because you don't like to rest. You have all these things going on. and, And what can help us? This can help us. This helps us. Understanding that God has subjected creation, that creation's groaning for something else, and that God is going to reveal one day his sons and daughters in the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. That helps us make it through all the difficulties and all the hardships and in our battle with sin. So secondly, secondly, the groaning of believers. Okay, notice we've seen creation groans, verse 22. The whole creation groans. Notice this. Now... Notice what Paul says in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of your body. If part of your Christian experience is not groaning and being burdened and longing for the new heavens and the new earth, then either you're not a Christian or you have listened to some very bad teaching or preaching, or you have not been in the Bible quite as much as you should be. Because it is a norm. It is a norm. If any minister tells you that the Christian life is just glorious and good and and things are going to be great for you because you're in Jesus, you run as far and as fast from that person as you can. There are people I know who fall prey to that sort of thing. Notice Paul doesn't have a triumphalism, does he, in any of this? Paul doesn't say Christianity means that it's just going to be great, no more suffering, the world's just going to be Christianized, it's all going to be great. He says, no, there's an expectation waiting. We are waiting. Notice what he says in verse 25. If we hope for what we see, verse 24, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for, for, with patience. And so as we're waiting, we're groaning because of our sin. The Christian knows what it is. Romans 7, clearly. Paul has Romans 7 in view here again. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He groans inwardly. She groans inwardly over the burden of their sin. The Christian groans under sickness, under affliction, under persecution, under opposition, under being mocked like their Lord, like their Lord was. And that's, and that's part of what God has for the believer here and now. And, you know, when I was a very young Christian, there was something in me that was ready to go and suffer for Jesus. And... I had someone very close to me tell me once, I had been a Christian maybe a year, and this person said, I really fear persecution and martyrdom, and I don't want that to happen. And I remember thinking at that point, how could you not suffer for your Lord? He suffered for you. How could you not suffer for him? And yet now, so many years later, I've experienced those same fears, 
that same trepidation, that same desire to get the crown without the cross. It's the way the old writers used to say it. In order to get the crown, you've got to get the cross, but you've got to wear the crown while you're getting the cross in order to get the crown and glory. And every Christian, every true believer, is going to suffer in this life. You are going to suffer. It's not going to come in the same form. It's not going to come in the same shape. There's sometimes I've looked at pastors and theologians that I've respected tremendously, and I know, humanly speaking, these are godly men, and they don't seem to be suffering. And then there are lots and lots and lots of Christians in Eritrea and all over the world in every country who are being crucified and thrown in metal boxes and beaten and families torn apart and massacred for the name of Jesus. And we sit comfortable. But I will say this. Every single believer will suffer in some way. And the experience of every believer is that inward groaning, longing for something more, hoping to be free from this world, free from the sufferings, with the Lord Jesus in glory. Let me say this at this point. We can go through the suffering because the Lord Jesus went through suffering and he groaned. In the garden, he groaned. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. That's a groaning. That was, Jesus was inwardly groaning. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus Christ sinlessly groaned within himself, not wanting the broken fellowship from his father, not wanting to have that separation that he had known from all eternity. And, and it, would have been, it would have been wrong for him not to have asked the father to take the cup away. To have wanted separation from the father would have been sinful for Jesus. But to face that looking forward and groaning and, and groaning to such an extent that he sweat great drops of blood in agony. Now, the Bible actually says several times that Jesus agonized in soul. And, and Jesus himself, who is the sinless God-man, said that he was at the point of death over agony in soul. That is inward groaning. And then he groaned at the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was groaning in his sufferings. But Here's how we can go through the sufferings. He went through the sufferings. He died. He rose. God brought something new. He, he was a new creation. He came out of the tomb. The first fruits of those that God will one day bring forth in the new heavens and the new earth. He came out victorious. He got the crown. He was crowned with death so that he might be again crowned with glory. And he did it so that we might follow our Lord in all the sufferings that he might put in our life as Christians. And so notice that Paul tells us here, he says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, notice verse 23, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. God saved you to have that hope, not to have hope of being on Hilton Head all the time. I want to say this as emphatic. You know why I want to say this? Because I feel it. And I'm sure you feel it. And maybe you're not honest with yourself, but every one of us wants an easy life and every one of us wants a valve release in tropical paradise. We do. And that's not what we're going to get here, but we're going to get something so much better for all eternity. And so we were saved with that hope 
that now we suffer, then glory. And notice, notice what Paul now says. Thirdly, he tells us about the groaning of the Spirit. This is one of the most remarkable things about this passage. It's not just the creation groans and shows us what to expect, and it's not just that we groan inwardly, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies, but that we have Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ in us, the, the third person of the Godhead, groaning within us. That's, that's a reality. There have been times in my life where I have, I have experientially realized this is the Holy Spirit within me groaning. There have been those moments where I've known in prayer. Notice what Paul says, that the, the Spirit intercedes for us. Verse 26, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. B.B. Warfield is a great quote. B.B. Warfield says, The Spirit intercedes for us by working in us right desires for each time of need and by deepening these into unutterable groans. I have a friend who is a pastor in Eritrea. He's actually um, in hiding in another country now, separated from his family. And he told me the story once about this uh, Christian musician in Eritrea and that she had been beaten, beaten repeatedly and she had been thrown in these metal containers in 130 degree temperature and that she, she for months on end was being beaten by the police there um, for Christianity and that, and I'll never forget this, I almost wept, she said that one time he brought her out and um, she hugged him and she said, I love you and I'm praying for you. That is what the Holy Spirit does. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes groanings with words that can't be uttered. He, and notice what Paul says. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what the mind knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the comfort we have as we go through all this. We don't have the resources in ourselves. That's comforting to know that. You do not have the resource in yourself to know how to make it through the sufferings and the difficulties and the trials. But the one who knows the mind of the everlasting God, the infinite Holy Spirit himself who indwells you, intercedes for you, prays with you and for you according to the will of God so that even when you don't know how to pray or what you should be praying for, God is praying for you, in you, to accomplish his purposes in your life. I want to read you one final quote. Um, Warfield says, The Spirit intercedes for us by working in us right desires for each time of need, by deepening these desires into unutterable groans. They are our desires and our groans, but not apart from the Spirit. They are his, wrought in us by him. And God, who searches the heart, sees these unutterable desires and knows the mind of the Spirit that he is making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the point. If you're a believer, you are not alone in your sufferings. You have the Holy Spirit with you, praying in you, helping you to pray, interceding for you, giving you prayers to pray that are not your own because he knows the mind of God and he knows exactly what you need. And that's the thought. That's the thought. I remember hearing people say when I was a new Christian, and I like this 
I like this phrase. I, I don't use it as much as I heard it when I was younger. Um, God will give you the grace to go through the sufferings when he sends the suffering. And I think we could say, we could tweak that, God is with you in the sufferings. He suffered for you. He groaned for you. He did all that for you. Now he dwells in you. Christ is in you by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for you so that God is with you in the sufferings. And God is not just giving you the grace to get through it, but he is giving you the very prayers that need to be prayed and answering those prayers for you so that you are guaranteed to make it through this time of light affliction and into something far more exceedingly full of the weight of God's glory. Now, I'm going to close with this. There are several ways you can respond. You could think this is boring. I don't know if if you think that. I don't know. Um, I have no application for you except repent and trust in Jesus. If you're unconverted, it is probably boring. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with, what if I do suffer? What if this does come to us? You know what? It probably is going to come to us. External persecution. I know that you've got that indwelling sin right now. But we need to prepare ourselves and realize that we've been saved in hope and that God wants us to be heavenly minded. It was Lewis who said, aim for earth, you get nothing. Aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. People sometimes say, don't be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. God says, be so heavenly minded, you're of earthly good. So let's get that right. This is not our home. Enjoy Hilton Head Island. I will be this week. I know you're like, that's hypocritical. No, just for a day. But that's not our home. The nice, pleasant things of this life are not taking away the fact that the creation is groaning and we are groaning and the spirit is groaning in us. And so let that propel us to think, Lord Jesus, come, bring about what you have promised. Jesus actually commands his disciples to to hasten that day. Have you ever read that and thought about that? He says, let us hasten the coming of the Lord. How can we hasten? We can't be like Jesus. You need to hurry up. But that's exactly what he wants you to to say in your spirit. Lord, hurry up. Come. Bring this world and all of its futility and fallenness to an end. That needs to be the cry of our hearts. And then finally, I would say, however you suffer, If you're a believer, know that God is in you. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. He will not only give you the grace to go through it, he is there in it with you. The same spirit that was in Jesus during his groanings, the same spirit is in us. And he is there and he is making intercession for you and he is praying according to the will of God for you. That is unbelievably comforting, isn't it? I wonder... Some of you know The Pilgrim's Progress is one of my favorite books. John Bunyan wrote it when he was in prison for 12 years in Bedford, England, and ripped away from his family for preaching the gospel. I wonder if the Holy Spirit didn't pray that God would give John Bunyan the dream he had so that we have The Pilgrim's Progress now. I think that might be one application of how the Spirit makes unutterable groanings according to the will of God for us. We, we, we have one of the greatest tools for growth and grace because of the suffering of a saint and that may have been because the holy spirit prayed that for him so they're unutterable groanings we don't know what all he prays but we can be comforted when we go through it he is there with us in the fire just like shadrach meshach and abednego he's there with them in the fire of affliction 
He is in his people. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge the weakness of our flesh and and the weakness of our minds even to understand these things and how slow we are often, Lord, to remember them. And yet, how encouraged we are that you reminded us again today of that eager expectation, the hope in which we have been saved. And our God, we pray that you would make us to live our days in light of that, that our hearts would not be weighed down by this world and desire for pleasure and comfort and heaven on earth, but that we would long to see this this universe transformed into the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Father, we pray that you would give us grace if you call us to suffer, that you would remind us that the Holy Spirit is praying in us and for us and groaning with us. Lord, what identity you have taken on with your people, how you have identified yourself with us, Lord, is amazing. And we pray that we would know it in our everyday experience. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.